Welcome. Welcome back to the Better Man, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb, and I am really thankful for you to be with me, especially today on our 20th episode. 20 episodes, 20 weeks. Have been fortunate to talk to some really great coaches, some really good friends. I've been fortunate to have good relationships that give me allow me the opportunity to speak to some other great coaches. And today is no different. I'm really thankful to be able to talk to you here on the 20th episode to head coach of Millersville University, John Sheehan. Coach Sheehan has been a main stage ABCA convention presenter. And if again, if you have not been to the ABCA coaches convention, I highly recommend it. This year is close to home. Our first one close to home in Washington, D.C. Hopefully, with all this COVID stuff, we get a chance to do that. Um, But if you have not been to the COVID convention, it is amazing. There's nothing like it. No other convention is like it. Uh, Just the networking itself, the amount of presenters. um, As a coach, especially different levels, you you may have to, well, as any coach, you always have to take things... um, you always have to take things and own it, see how you can benefit it and put it into your program. But especially because, you know, you're looking at coaches from a very high Division One level with the big budgets and things like that. So, um, but overall, the value that you get at the ABCA convention is unbelievable. And so, Coach Sheehan has been at the top there, has been a presenter at the on the main stage at the ABCA He is the current head coach at Millersville University. They've won seven PSAC championships, seven Eastern Division championships, excuse me. They do have a PSAC championship as well. They've had two NCAA Atlantic Regional titles. He's had four 40-win seasons. He's had eight NCAA tournament appearances. They have reached now their NCAA regionals for seven consecutive years. I'm sure it would have been an eighth this past year, knowing the kind of squad they put out for the first, I think it was 15 games. In 2016, they ended up as the Division II runner-up playing in the final game of the season. He is Coach Sheehan is a truly respectable, amazing coach, and even better person. I even know that from other athletes who I know have gotten recruited by him, who see him at games, who see him at different events. He stops to talk to them. He asks them how they are, remembers their names. He is a unbelievable, a great coach and a great person who I have fortunate to be able to speak to and have a relationship here as he's not, he's about two hours from us here in Maryland at Millsville University. So, um, with Coach Sheehan today, you're going to hear nothing but great things from him as well. We have a great conversation touching base on an app that he's actually developing that he was working on, which is going to help eliminate a lot of paper-based charts, and especially from a budget-friendly aspect that most people from high school, Division two, d- depending on your level, I think that will be very worthwhile. Um, and something that I think is extremely going to be extremely valuable. He talks about his app that he's recording. It's going to help with pitch recognition as well as even heat maps. 
spray charts will no longer be a thing because with this app, what he's trying to put out. So uh, we get into some of those things. He talks about his, um, how he develops his team within his core values, his coaching staff values, and how he's able to manage his staff. He's had to manage his staff since he was 25 years old, taking over as a head coach at Millersville. And so he's got a lot of experience there. Um, he just, you can just tell, um, how clear he wants to be with it, with everything, with his mission, with his vision, um, with all of his behaviors that he's trying to incorporate to create and keep the championship culture that he has created at Millersville. So I want to get right down to it. Again, I want to thank coach Sheehan for the opportunity to speak with him and I hope you enjoy it. Please make sure you're ready for a lot of notes. And here he is, head coach at Millersville University, Coach John Sheehan. So we have we have a student assistant that sits, sits behind home plate with an iPad. And I wish I had to show it to you, but basically you, you get a hitter in the box. It's it's a it's a view of the strike zone. And all the pitches are lift, listed down the side, fastball, slider, curveball, changeup split whatever you're going to drag that pitch into the strike zone where the pitch location was and then another screen pops up and it just basically says what happened you know took it for a ball swung and missed foul ball whatever um if the ball's put in play then another screen pops up and says what happened single double triple out whatever um so what you're doing is generating data off of pitch location and type and there's a hard hit ball scale on there as well so that's not super accurate obviously you're not taking exit velos down but you can get a pretty good idea whether the kid squared it up or not sure um, and then what the app will do is generate a report at the end of every game so when the kid gets done playing that night and the student assistant hits submit that kid gets a text message on his phone and he can pull up a pdf report of all of his at bats pitch locations um, and the result. So then he can go back and fill out his quality plate appearance information. And, and what we're trying to do is create a stat for decision-making. So um, we just want the kid to be able to say, did I swing at a good pitch or not swing at a good pitch? And what was the result? And then at the end of the year, or even at the end of a series, you can go back and look at, you know, how did Westchester pitch Justin? How did, you know, or we go to the end of the year and we're playing in a regional and we've got Mercyhurst and we've got, you know, three games against Mercyhurst earlier in the year. Now we can pull up a, you know, a heat map of where that pitcher attacks each hitter individually and, and what his stuff looks like and um, spray charts are included. So, I mean, it's, it's just a way to, I think it may get rid of almost all the charts that we use just because uh, all the data that you can generate <clears throat> and uh, we're really close. I mean, we, we use the app, for our 18 games this spring, it, it worked really well. We didn't have the piece where the kids get the, the report after the game done, but we were able to, to run reports and look at heat maps and that kind of thing. So, you know, we're getting close. The iOS version will be done this month and then, you know, off and running. So we're hoping to release something to the public. We are hoping this fall, but since there isn't a lot of teams playing right now, we need to get some more data and, I may just sit at home and watch MLB and track pitches and yeah. maybe pay my 11-year-old to do that. <laughs> so, 
Because I'm yeah, sure guess- it's like any app, it's 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 a it's a work in progress. You got bugs, and you got you know you got to work some things out, but. Uh, that's super cool but just the convenience of it you know like that's what's tough about paper to pencil is the matter of when you get it back to the players the the timely manner and without staying up in all hours of the night and everything else you got to do so you're saying with the it's one of those things too where you you know the kids have it before they get in the locker room or you know as soon as they get on the bus it's it's in their hand and on their phone um you know, which for us, it's like, oh, we played a doubleheader and Cole Freeze has no idea what he saw the first pitch of the first at bat. You know, it's, it's just really hard to go back eight hours later and look at something and try to figure out, was that a good decision or not? So, and we tried to do it on paper and pencil and it took, I mean, we we had 750 sheets of paper by the third week of the season. Yeah. So, and you had holes in the paper from all the pitches that were being charted in the strike zone. It was right. just so hard. So you're saying, so this one, so let alone the pitch, whether I swung at a good pitch or not, it's also going to say, then you're going to say, oh, I hit that ball to left. Right. And, oh, that ball was a bloop or that ball was hit hard. Correct. So that's going to be able to do all those things besides the pitch. Yeah. It was in the zone. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you can generate a lot of different heat maps from, from that data. I mean, where oh, do I yeah. hit the ball hard? What type of pitch do I hit the ball hard? Do I hit balls harder off of righties or lefties, inner half, outer half? Do I chase out of the zone with sliders? Do I chase up out of the zone with fastballs? Um, you're not going to get the data that you would from TrackMan, um, but it's affordable for D2 programs that can't afford TrackMan or high school programs that can't afford TrackMan that, you know, that, I think TrackMan's almost overkill with some of that stuff, too. I mean, the kids at the end of the day just need to know, like, I need to see the ball in my legs and stop swinging out of the zone high. Or this guy attacks me with fastballs up and breaking balls down, or maybe it's a sinker slider, you know. But And, that, and that's my next qu- My next question was, like, I was thinking, like, would your student manager do it for the opposing hitters? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So Just so you would see how – yeah. Our pit, you can run all the same pitching reports for your own guys against opposing hitters. So you you, you start building scouting reports on on your opposition as well. Yeah, yeah, you could run it for both. Yeah, no reason to keep a a spray chart anymore. I mean, on either guy, you know, your own guys or or the, yeah. the opposition. Because you'd be able to say, oh, look, this guy this guy chases sliders down the way. Like we have it right here, you yeah. know. And so like, if you chart the other guys too. You know, and that could even show, like, like you said, down the road, you play Mercyhurst. You can say, well, oh, here's what you did to this guy. You know, and, it's, and there could be some really cool things there. Yeah, everything's just right on that one one app. Yeah, so you'll be able to sign in, similar to like Diamond Kinetics. You'll be able to sign in and look at the data and pull up Excel spreadsheets and the heat maps and everything on a website. Um, so we there's a couple things like, do we want to make that accessible just on the website, or we don't want to make it accessible on the app? Um, we're not sure yet, but you know, cause there's, there's some beauty to having the, just a simplified app, um, for ease of use and, and bugs and everything. But, um, the was the website should have availability to run reports on just about anything there. Well, so I guess the app would be nice too. Cause it might not have, might not need Wi-Fi. Correct. It won't. So you'll need Wi-Fi to update it or to, to, you know, get it to the kids, but, um, and you should be able to use a hotspot pretty quick and upload it and send it out to the kids. And then, and then, you know, whenever you get back to Wi-Fi, you can check on how they did. 
Yeah, the, goal, the goal is to make it interactive. So, I mean, it, there, there's going to be a, a setting for it that once the kid fills out the, yes, I made a good decision. No, I didn't. The coach will be able to go back in and make comments and, and change that. No, you, you actually made a poor decision or the man on second, nobody out. And you, you swung in a fastball and the, you know, the inner half and you pulled it to the shortstop. It, you know, not the pitch you want to swing at in that, in that situation in a wandering game. Um, sure. So it, the goal is again, just to help kids with, their approach. Um, there hasn't been a lot of, I don't think there's any hitting apps like that. There's a ton of pitching chart apps, but I don't think there's a hitting app that, that, um, you know, helps kids develop a plan based on subjective data, but still, I mean, it, depending on who your student assistant is, you, you should be able to see a lot of patterning um, with each player. Yeah. We, um, so I guess two things. Is you're so you're saying it's interactive where a kid when he gets his data back, they're also going to have like a questionnaire of it. Yeah, so it'll it'll have on there just like we have a quality plate appearance card that they fill out after every game, and you know how visually connected were we with the ball? Basically, did you see the ball well or not? Um, you know, ask some questions about their mental game. You know, did they did they trust their approach? That kind of thing. So, I I would hope that we can tailor that and allow coaches to change it up and, and put whatever kind of questions they want on that sheet. Um, I don't think that would be a, a big issue, but um, the big thing is our app builder, he's a baseball guy. And I mean, he played at Slippery Rock. He has a really good idea. Um, and it's not just some guy that builds apps that has no idea what, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. So that's been really helpful. Yeah, it's always huge in baseball to have a feel, you know? Yeah. Always, no, you, always, no. you always can tell when a guy has a feel. Like, that's just what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. So. Yeah, man, that's, that's really cool. So, like, um, I guess on top of that, you know, because I always – and so we – so it's funny you say that, too. Like, we've – we did a we did a chart today this, this summer and had a basically – it was a plus or minus. Like, plus, you took a ball. Minus, you swung at a ball. Plus, you swung into strike, or minus, you took a strike. Right. And not not all the time. So, like, even like, and it's good because the conversation came out like, hey, coach, well, you know, it it was good for me to take take that strike there because I couldn't take it the other way. I'm like, yes, that's true. But for the sake of this chart, it just, it is what it is, you know? Um, Because overall, we're trying to teach aggressive maybe earlier and things like that. But, um, so those conversations were still good. but yeah, I would say I did have the, like the guy, we, we typically had one guy do that. And it was a conversation I had to have, like, look, man, like you, if it's off the plate, it's a ball. Like you need to say, oh, well, it was close. Like, no, man, you need to be pretty tough on them. So yeah, like you said, depending on your manager, like that's a conversation that I know I had to have with the guy. Like, look, they just, if it's a, if it's a ball, it's a ball. Like if it's a strike, it's a strike, you know, like don't. And there was, there's a, it's a little subjective, but yeah, but once you have the conversation, set the expectations and, you know, like you, like you're so good at, um, you'll be fine, but that'd be, man, that'd be, that'd be awesome. That's going to be, that'll be, that'll be a game changer. Just yeah, the, we'll the, see. the amount of feedback time. That's what it is. It's the better, the feedback time. That's what I like about it. Yeah. We wanted to make it quick. I mean, we want to get it in their hands as fast as possible before the, you know, they go home or go out to eat with their parents or get on a bus and turn on Netflix for a couple hours or whatever it is. I mean, they like to get it over and done with and and move on. So, so let me yeah, tell I'm, you tired, I'm tired of like typing numbers in an Excel spreadsheet, 
appearances, you know, hard hit balls. I mean, everything that we're doing, it's just, it's, and then we started getting into this a decision-making uh, number. And, and then, you know, I'm charting like swings out of the zone up, swings out of the zone down, you know, chases out, chases in, you know, and, and it's fastball percentages taken. I mean, you know, it's just trying to figure out any type of pattern with these guys. And now it's, it'll be so much easier just to, to run a report and say, Oh yeah. You know, why are you taking so many fastballs? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that, I guess, so the next step was for like, for me, it's always like, cause I've gone to these certain process, the quality bets. Like, so I always come back to like, Hey, well, when you get to that decision-making number, like, what are you teaching to help them improve that decision-making number? Like what, what are some things that you will do? Cause right. I had a couple of things that, what, what, what will you do to help improve that number? after you've had the conversation of like, why are you taking so many, like, and let's work on this. Right. That's a great question, Matt. Um, we have a very functional batting practice. So I think, you know, in terms of we're trying to make BP as game-like as possible and you can't necessarily do it all the time with a 90 mile an hour fastball and a 78 mile an hour curveball that they're going to see. Um, but you can do it in terms of location. So guys are, you know, if you're going to sit out or half in a game, you better work on sitting on the outer half in BP. And if you're going to sit on breaking balls and try to hit first pitch breaking balls that guys are flipping in for a strike early, then they need to work on that in BP. So I think any way that you can simulate BP um, with the pitch machine or coach pitch in a, in a situation where they have to tell you what their approach is going to be in terms of what they're working on through hopefully through this app. Um, and then see them execute or not execute is just a, is, it's a way to, you know, take the data that you have and, and make it functional. So um, the other part of that is, you know, just as a coach, knowing a guy chases breaking balls out of the zone, you let them know, hey, today's a mixed day and we're going to throw, you can call fastball out or half or fastball under half or whatever, um, but I'm going to mix breaking balls out of the zone to you and you have to lay off of it. And uh, it's amazing that guys, there, there's a panic thing there. There's, um, it's that, that point where the guy's like over aggressive because he's worried about striking out or under aggressive. Uh, and it's, it's getting to that mix where guys are ultra aggressive in the zone that they're looking for or ultra aggressive on that mistake breaking ball when they're sitting out or half because, you know, they know they're going to be on time for it. Um, and when you can get that right mix, you know, you don't swing out of the zone and, and you get your swing off on pitches that you want to. So um, anything, again, anything that you can do to simulate that during practice, instead of just going out and hitting BP, even on the pitch machine, I mean, guys, guys just want to turn the pitch machine up to 92, 93. Um, but yes, it's simulating seeing a pitch at that speed, getting on time and, and hitting. Um, but it's still not simulating a bat fastball after fastball after fastball after fastball. So, I mean, you still got a guy on the mound that has a brain that's trying to outthink you and, and beat you. So and you, you need to think a little bit like them. And again, you, it's a lot easier to think like them. If you, if you have data on how they've gotten you out. Absolutely. Yeah. D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO, even mid-major schools. I mean, we just don't have the technology to, to go up and, and, and have, you know, years of video history on a kid or, um, you know, the ability to go back and, yeah, we can look at paper charts we have for years, but um, 
how do we, how do we, you know, how do we find patterns in that? It's just, it's really hard unless you have a full analytics team going through those charts and, and put numbers together after every series. So hopefully this will make it a lot easier. Yeah, it sounds like it will. It sounds like it will. I mean, like, um, so I guess ideally when you like, so like in the future you have batting practice, are you going to try to bucket kids into certain groups based off of like they're chasing certain things or is it mostly just like, Hey, what are you working on? And we're going to work on like, you try to make it like how individualized or how, like how specific will you then have BP now? How will that change? Um, I think it'll be, you know, our groups are based upon in the fall or whatever they're working on from the development aspect. So if a guy has issues with bat speed or if a guy has issues with connection or a guy, I mean, you know, it's basically movement pattern things that we group our guys with in the fall um, based on their assessment, based on the data that we're getting off sensors, K-Vest, um, Soto. You know, there, we might have a group if, if we have three or four guys that are struggling hitting the ball with with uh, consistent exit velocity to the, the opposite field or you know, there, last year we had some guys that really struggled pulling the ball in the air. Um, we can group those guys together in BP. Uh, in season, we generally group them together based on on their skills. So um, we won't hit our leadoff guy that runs, bunts. Um, yes, we still run and hit, hit and run at our level, even though a lot of teams are getting away from it. Um, slash, those guys are not going to be the same as the four, five, six guys who catch, play first base, and play left field don't run very well and hit for power. Um, so we try to we try to group those guys together so we can have, you know, functional batting practice that includes situational hitting that they're actually realistically going to take part in. Why have your four guy who can't run um, slashing, you know, that day? Just it makes no sense where you might want to, you know, fake steal and have a kid try to hit the ball off the wall on BP. That's still situational hitting. So that's kind of how we group our guys. But I think, yeah, the, the individual component, um, it's one of those conversations that you have to have before BP when, you know, when you're practice playing that day, hey, what is Cole Freeze working on, our center fielder? Well, if he's chasing breaking balls, well, today we're going to have a mix around for Cole. Cole. I mean, and our staff's pretty good at, at breaking some things out and making sure that we're, we're fairly detailed from, from a planning aspect so that we're doing those things during practice. Cool. So, yeah, so, like, I guess even though they're working, like, let's say Cole's working on his connection right. and still part of his round, one of his rounds will still be you mixing in based off his um, approach or decision-making or is that just totally separate day? Yeah, I think it's a totally separate day. I think it's really hard to work on both. Um, the fall, we'll go through, like, four or five weeks in the fall where it's all correctives. Um, and we'll do very little in-game type of uh, hitting um, we'll allow guys to really try to, to conquer that movement pattern. And, and it, it's always going to pop its ugly head back up. Um, but for me, in order to actually get the motor skills changed, you know, you, you have to be willing to sacrifice some of that in-game stuff, get the kids moving well first, and then slowly challenge that movement pattern and eventually get back up to game speed. And, mm -hmm. and for us, that, that's been a, a – we're hoping that it would be the right – uh, mix and, and we we're off to a really good start last year but um, this has really been kind of a I'd say a two-year thing that we really started changing our thought process on motor skill acquisition and then how do you take the movement pattern changes and also coach the the approach as well but yeah. it, you definitely have to separate it you definitely have to separate it and and um, 
create two different environments for those guys. Well, and me just thinking through that too, that, that, and I'm just thinking through that as you're saying that too, you're not going to have the data in the fall anyways to even do too, do too much decision-making anyways. Like right. that's mostly left in the spring and in the right. game, even halfway through the year when you start to realize, Hey, now you're starting to do this and you know, right. some blatant stuff. So that's really, so yeah, that's going to be, cause I yeah, can, we're, we're, we're trying to get four or 500 swings in the fall just to see how a guy moves and, you know, going through their, their move, their movement or their, uh, their functional movement scan with our PT and trying to, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's symptomatic in their movements and asymptomatic in their movements. In other words, just because a guy has bad hip mobility doesn't mean it's going to affect them negatively as a hitter. That's a good uh, point. That's a great point. You, know what I mean? you don't so hear you that much. Gotta, you don't hear that much at all. That's an awesome point. Right. So, you, I mean, you got to figure out how a guy moves and how that affects his ability to move at the plate or in the field, uh, on the mound, and – and sometimes it's there's a lot of guesswork there in that um, we've screwed a lot of guys up by oh you have tight hips let's loosen you up and all of a sudden they can't stay on a ball or they you know they can't decel the the pelvis very well or you know there's a lot of issues that come out of us changing the body and those kids not they kind of lose feel for what they're doing. So sure. well how so how do you how do you say how do you prove that it's asymptomatic? Does he you need to just let them be for like two weeks three weeks like how far do you like, you know what I mean? How, yeah. how long do you need to take to see that? I think you start to see negative things that come up. In other words, um, you know, we have a pitcher that, you know, his front leg, we, we cannot get over the fact that his front leg is not firming up at release. And, and um, some guys, it's a mechanical thing. They've never heard that before. So we put them through a couple of, couple of drills, couple of movements, and, you know, a couple of weeks later, they, they've got it. Um, they're able to produce that movement over and over and over, and eventually it, it kind of clicks in and, and becomes part of what they're doing. Um, other guys, they could try and try and try and try and try to fix that front leg, but they can't do it. Um, and that could be a physical thing that, you know, we have to go back and look. Is it a strength issue? Is it, is it, is it a deficiency um, based on that strength or is it a mobility issue or, you know, why can't they do it? And that's when you start diving into the data that you have, the information that you have from an asymptomatic and symptomatic aspect. So I am not an expert, but I think you, you pull a bunch of people into a room, um, our athletic trainer, our physical therapist, our strength coach. Um, we had a, a really good uh, player development guy uh, last year that, that is now working for KVS. So, I mean, you, you can kind of, incorporate those guys and, and get them in a room and, you know, use the brain power to, to figure out why each guy moves the way they do. Hmm. So, yeah, so you're, so you're going to move them, move them. You're going to try to fix some ability first and then kind of see how the data goes to see if it's asymptomatic. Um, or no, we, we don't want to really change how the body moves. We just want to see, we want to understand um, if, the reason that they're successful may be that, that they're immobile. Um, trying to think of a good example. So we had a duck footed kid a couple of years ago. I always bring this one up. Um, he was like 89, 91 in high school, threw a lot of strikes, um, very tight hips when he got to us at Millersville. And we figured, okay, we're going to take Yank and we're going to fix his hips. We're going to square his feet up to the rubber. And he's a duck footed kid. So his, his feet are on the rubber like this. Um, and when we squared him up, loosened up his hips, he's doing hip mobility like every day. All of a sudden, Vila goes in the tank, 
and he loses all feel for the strike zone. Um, early torso rotation, it was just bad. Um, so we stopped doing mobility, put his feet back on rubber like this, and within a year he's touching 97 and he gets drafted and um, he's throwing strikes again. And what we realized was that the hip mobility was actually the lack of hip mobility was actually allowing him to decel his pelvis. And when he's decelling his pelvis and it, you know, gave us, it got his torso on time, shoulders on time. And, and, uh, he synced up and threw strikes and, um, you know, the kinetic chain worked the way it was supposed to work. And the deceleration of the pelvis efficiently was allowing him to generate, more force up the chain and throw harder. So it's wild. So I guess the thing is know your players really well. Um, everybody's going to be completely different, move totally different. So I think you just have to be really careful to, to just because you see something that shows up on a functional scan with a physical therapist or a strength coach doesn't necessarily mean that it's a detriment to the performance. And um, even though it does look like that, it, it's not always, what you think. So yeah. we're a lot slower than we, than we used to be when it comes to changing how the body moves in terms of trying to get a mechanical adjustment to happen on the backside. It may just not work that way. So. Yeah. So how, so like looking at, let's say knowing what you know now, let that, you know, the duck, the duck pitcher comes in now, what would you do differently? Um, we would put him to the functional scan, know that he had tight hips and let him go for a couple months and see, and see what the data said in terms of, okay, you're throwing hard. Um, I think there are some, some things that, you know, if the kid's not on time at foot strike, I mean, that, that's a, that's an alarming thing. If the, you know, there, there's going to be mechanical things that you see that can help guys, but, um, at the same time, you need to do a deep dive with you know what he's good at and why he's good at it before you go in and start changing everything mm -hmm. so you know i think we're just a little bit slower than we used to be to to assume that all guys move the same and produce velocity the same way and, and produce force at the plate the same way and and um even though there's similarities you need to figure out why that individual's body moves the way it does and why he's had success or isn't having success. Yeah. That's the other part of it. So, but I don't think there's a magic uh, button to push for every kid. I mean, it, that's, that's the beauty of coaching and we're wrong so often and it, it stinks to be wrong, but I think, you know, the kids need to know that. I mean, clarity doesn't always mean that, well, we're living in uncertainty, right? But I heard Andy Stanley say the other day, he was talking about clarity and, and uncertainty you can be clear clearly uncertain <laughs> and i think sometimes we have to be that way with our players in terms of mechanics and movement you know i really don't know what's going on right now but we're going to get to the bottom of it is a, right. a lot better than oh yeah i know exactly what i'm doing screw the kid up mm -hmm. so when you really had no idea what you were doing i just i like especially you can be clearly uncertain but <laughs> yeah, it's true like especially deal with mechanics because there's so many guys that are just so different, you know, so different. But I, guess, I know you said that. So are you, when you're looking at like a guy being on time at foot strike, are you looking at just a, your camera? You have a specific camera? Like how much are you taking a lot of video? So a lot of our guys go to a place called Full Reps up in Harrisburg. Um, Will Kerr and uh, uh, Swanee up there, Scott Swanson, 
Those guys have been phenomenal for, for helping us develop an assessment plan for the pitchers. Um, and they, they have Edgertronic. I mean, but, but a lot of it's iPhone video. I mean, we, we use an iPhone for, for a lot of things. So, uh, and it works just fine on the slow-mo, um, you know, but, but for their initial assessment, yeah, they're going through, they're going through, uh, with Edgertronic and, um, I think we have like six kids up there this summer. Um, almost all of our pro guys train up there as well. And, and, uh, they were, they were awesome. Kind of like Oregon state paired up with, uh, with driveline a few years back full reps kind of paired up with us and, and helped us do all of our pitching assessments, throwing programming, uh, movement, you know, movement assessments and, and work hand in hand with our athletic training staff, our strength staff uh, last year. So, um, just a really good partnership for us. And if anybody's, I mean, I'll throw a little, little love out to those guys. If they're looking for some guys that, that, uh, whether it's a position player or a pitcher, then they want to throw better, learn how to throw well and, and increase velocity, but, but most importantly, stay healthy. Um, those, those would be the guys I would recommend for Four sure. reps, And that's in Harrisburg, right? You said? In Harrisburg. Yeah. They're awesome. Leadership side, trying to get 35 kids to play together, um, mm-hmm. you know, picking a diverse group and, and getting those kids to mesh, um, and having a different group every year. It's always different, right? I mean, following your coach, you know, every team is different, just like every individual is different. So, um, that's what I enjoy the most, but, uh, I think if you're not, really doing deep dives into the, the development side right now, you're going to be, you know, far behind. I mean, every day I, you know, I'm going through the internet and drive on those, those Sunday thunder nuggets. And it's like every Sunday I read something that I had no idea existed. And, and it's just crazy how fast technology has changed the game of baseball. So, and it, it amazes me going to work in camps and getting to know a lot of coaches, you know, at the lower levels of college baseball, they, they use the budget as an excuse and you've got to find a way to get, to get involved um, and utilize technology and, and, and learn, are you going to be on the outside looking in quick? Mm-hmm. So um, we have a value. I saw one of your questions was, was um, you know, what do you, what do you, why do you think your program has been successful somewhere along those lines? And I think just sticking to our values um, has been huge for us. Uh, and we have one that's make it better. It's just really simple, make it better. And it, it just reminds us that we've got to find ways to continue to improve. And, and that includes, you know, specifically the last five years from player development aspect. I mean, yeah, it sounds like, and that's what makes you such a great leader. It is always sounds like we're going to do it first as a staff and I'm going to do it first as the leader of this program. Yeah. We've never been afraid to try something. I mean, we've definitely tried things and they haven't worked, but we've never been afraid to, to go in and, you know, change something just because we've all, we've always done it this way and we've had success. I mean, I, I think that it was a, the fact that I could throw a lot of crap on the wall and some of it stuck and some of it didn't, and it didn't really hurt us early in my career because we were so bad when I took over, that's really stuck with me. And we're still throwing crap against the wall and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I would say like, especially right now, because we have a couple sixth year seniors with, with the virus. Like if you ask them what it was like the freshman year to compare to their senior year, I would hope they would say that from a player development aspect, but we're a whole different program, which, um, which is a good thing. So. Um, 
and Justin six years ago, you know, like that's, and that sounds a lot to them, but you know, even for you and looking at your career, I mean, you know, that's only six years ago and just how far you've come. But I know. Yeah. The conversations that we've had the past years, how much different they've been, you know, just a little conversation we've had, you know, going from diamond kinetics and you're talking about the chain and things that we never really ever, right. ever had talked about, whether it was like, you know, situationally, you know, we sort of talked about situations. Um, but I'd love to get into, man, like what you said, like your let's tee it up for your favorite stuff, man. Let's just get into that. Like your favorite, that's my favorite stuff. Like trying to get everybody to achieve one goal, you know, be you aligned with us, you know, right. kind of thing, you know? And so what were, so you said the values of make it better, you know, how many values, how many values do you guys have in the program? So for the players, there's two, it's selfless and relentless. Um, pretty simple. And I know there's other programs that have the exact same values, but I think, the way to get guys to buy in is start with the recruiting process. I mean, I think you need to find kids on one that are selfish and relentless before you get there. Don't, don't think you can get a really good player that's selfish and turn them into a selfless kid for, for us. It's, it's been really important to find selfless individuals. Um, and then the relentless part of it is, I mean, it, 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 it is part of their DNA to a certain extent, but kids that love baseball, um, and whether you're an Ivy League coach or you're you're a Division three guy, um, if you want to have a successful program, I think you need to first and foremost find kids that just love to play the game because it's a lot easier to to push those guys, and they're they're going to be more willing to get through some adversity that's going to happen in college, and, and they're going to be willing to wake up early and stay up late, and you know, um, again, try new things uh, from a player development standpoint. So. It's been uh, important to figure out from a relentless aspect how much they really love the game. And mm -hmm. um, that's, that's changed, I think, in the last 10 years. The players that we've gotten are more and more and more serious about playing the game at a really high level. And, and I think the kids that have come before them have set the, set the bar really high. And they've, we've had some guys that have been really successful in pro ball. And it just – it's uh, motivated those guys to, to really, really push themselves and set, set their goals really high as a result. But um, so those are the two player values, self-relentless. And then our coaching staff has a couple other ones. Um, we, we're not going to require them to do what, what we don't, you know, what we don't do. So we're going to be self-relentless as well. Um, care about the players, even though that that's one of those things you say, duh, you know, isn't that just something that like you have to do as a coach? Um, would, really, what's that not every coach does it though yeah i mean I, I want to really emphasize it because of the business side of college athletics i mean there, sure. there's so many guys that are in it uh that you know they're worried about keeping their job that are coaching to win because they have to that the player becomes a resource for the coach and i wanted to emphasize to our staff that look these they're they're human beings or we need to be a resource for them for their lives and, and not vice versa so um finding a way to put them first, care about those guys, uh, whatever it might be on the field, off the field, but really emphasizing clarity around, around caring for these guys, just, just like a parent or, or a big brother. So um, let me see every decision we make, and this, this is kind of a long one, but every decision we, we make needs to be based on the student athlete experience. Um, whether it's fundraising, whether it's uh, how we run practice, prepare for practice, um, academic meetings, you know, the whole nine, um, there's an expectation when they come in, you know, as a, as a, as a freshman that everything in the recruiting process that we talked about needs to be in place. 
And, and that includes, like I said, player development. They're going to expect new things. You know, we're going to try new things in the player development area. And if we're continuing just to do things over and over and over and we get lazy as a staff, then they're going to have a poor experience. Um, fundraising is huge at the lower level. So, I mean, if we're fundraising for, for the program, it better impact the student-athlete experience. Yes, scholarship dollars, but technology, the facility, all those things directly impact those individuals. So, um, and then the last one we kind of mentioned already was, was make it better. Mm-hmm. Find a way to make it better. I wake up at night and some of the nightmares I have are that we've worked really, really, really hard to get to the point where we're successful year in and year out. And, and then, you know, we get lazy and uh, complacent and success breeds complacency. And that's what it does. And then you end up going back down the backside of the mountain. And I've seen it a lot in our conference, it's really, really good baseball and it's really easy to, to lose a foothold and not compete and go to a regional every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like, um, I had Butch Thompson just talking to him and he was saying how, you know, gun, you're at the top, change you're at the top so you can, so you, so you, uh, how do you word it? You know, he just has a great way of saying things, but like, as we change at the top, it doesn't allow for that decline in growth, you know, and so because we always continue to stay uncomfortable, you know, and um, I forget exactly how he said, it. he said, it's a great, um, you know, I'll probably just butcher it, but like he was, it was such a great point. But the point being is when I'm at that summit or the high level playing, I said, like, we can't be afraid to change to continue that growth. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, that make it better value allows us to, to, to do that. Uh, to do that and, and keep us focused on it. I mean, it's hard to say make it better and just sit there and keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. So again. how do you, so like, you know, you said your fall is very developmental. Your fall is all about, you know, development of, of it. it so are you, how are you developing selfless and relentless into the players during that time in the fall? I think, um, again, going back to that recruiting process, you kind of have a base to work with, but we, we start off, the first week and we are very very clear on what it looks like to be selfless and relentless so we'll go through a we'll go through an activity we'll get we'll break into small groups um we'll go through one value a day um and there'll be a freshman in each group so you might have four guys in a group for example i'm sure you can do this in the classroom too with collaborative learning and and we'll give them the word selfless and then we'll give them in the classroom so They'll have to come back with 10 bullet points or so, which will, you know, tell us what they think is a selfless act in the classroom. So it might be sitting in the power tee front and center. It might be paying attention. It might be um, preparing for class and making sure you get your reading done. Um, But anything that would be selfless in the classroom would be listed there. And then we give them selfless at practice. What does selfless look like at practice? What does selfless look like in the weight room? What does selfless look like on game day? Uh, what the selfless look like in the community. So the conversation builds it. These are probably two hour activities where we come back and have some, you know, have some deep conversation about, you know, being selfless in all of those areas. And I think what happens is the freshmen get a really, really good idea rather than just reading team rules um, of what it looks like to be a Millersville Marauder and, and what, you know, why they should be different when they're walking around campus, why they should be different when they go to summer ball. Um, and what selfless and relentless look like in all of those areas. And I think that's, again, it's, it's about clarity, right? I mean, we're, as leaders, we need to be really, really, really clear about our culture and, you know, obsessed with our culture. And I think that's starting off 
before we even pick up a ball, before we go through an assessment, it's a full week of talking strictly about our culture and how those values impact those guys and what the experience, you know, you're going to get fired based on values. I mean, fired and hired happens based on values. You can kick every ground ball. Um, but if you're working your absolute tail off, I mean, there's going to obviously be a point where we, you're not going to play shortstop if you can't field a ground ball. But, but at the same time, uh, if you're not willing to relentlessly work on getting better defensively, um, you're lazy. I mean, and lazy players aren't going to make it. Um, you know, selfish players aren't going to make it. So you, you, you go back and, and start thinking about your fires. In other words, guys that get cut, 99% of the time it has nothing to do with ability. It's usually those those values that that are popping up and I think uh Nick Saban his famous quote one of his famous quotes was that high achievers and and uh and mediocre people don't get along and it's so true Mm -hmm. it's so true usually the players will know whether a guy fits our values before I do I mean you can tell a coach and answer questions through the recruiting process the way he wants you to answer him it's pretty obvious you don't want to answer selfishly um but at the end of the day when you get on campus you get away from your 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 parents and and you start living your life um you're spending a lot of time with your teammates so they're going to get to know exactly who you are and and in our culture it, it seemed like the players seem to know who's going to make it before i do now do you, you ever have those conversations a with kids like has, has that ever happened where you're like coach this guy's not oh yeah cool. And it happens quite a bit where, I mean, I think our guys are so protective of our culture and, and know that it's such a big piece of, you know, it is the reason why we're successful that when a guy comes in and doesn't fit, they, they also know that it could be detrimental to our, our program success and our team success, which is when you have a, when you have a real selfless group of people, they, they really do want the team to be more successful than, than themselves. And, uh, the conversation happens. I mean, the upperclassmen come in and be like, this guy is not working out. And uh, you can, you know, you need to make a decision because not that they're going to walk out on you or anything, but they, they're protective of what they've helped to build at that point. Mm-hmm. So, That's and a lot of times they do a good job of trying to take care of it on the side without, you know, without coming in and talking to me, but, but eventually it does get to that point where they have to have a conversation with me. And it's not a tattletale thing. It's just one of those things that they, they really do. It's ownership. That's what it is. Absolutely. It's ownership. Yeah. It is. It's awesome. That's the highest level. That's that's why you guys are studs. Well, <laughs> you know, that's why you have great kids, and that's why you guys win. And just when the kids own own it, you know, and you're at the highest level of coaching because you're able just to sit back and facilitate, and it's awesome, man. That's great. Yeah, you kind of get out of the way when the leadership's working the right way. It it allows you to get the heck out of the mm-hmm. way and let the kids let the kids do do their thing. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, like, looking about, like, how um, – so how do you, you know, thinking about molding those things during season? Like, so how, what does that look like during the season? Um, we, I, I, we, we talk about what it means to be a good teammate, um, and I know that sounds so cliche. Uh, we read two books every year, and this is one of the things that we, we haven't changed, um, but we read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Um, he has a great podcast out that he came, he started with a, about a year ago. Um, and then we read the ideal team player and both of those books kind of fit together. Uh, and it just talks about traits of, a, of, of, a, of an ideal team player, whether that be in business or in life. 
and then uh, or, or in sports. And then it also taught uh, the five dysfunctions of a team are five dysfunctions and then the function that goes with them. You know, if you want to be a functional team, these are the things that, that you need to do. Starts with trust, um, talks about accountability, talks about having one common, one common major goal that, yeah, it's okay to want to get drafted, be an All-American, do those things. But um, if you put those things in front of the ultimate team goal, which for us is winning a national championship, you're not going to be successful. So um, it's pretty cool. By the time a guy's a senior, he can pretty much teach the book to the team because we've gone over it four times. And heck, right now we got some of those guys that'll be fifth and sixth year guys a wow. lot more. <laughs> so how, how does that yeah so how does that look when you know you have guys that have read it multiple times um i think they start to realize that there's truth in it you know as a freshman you're like yeah yeah we're doing this book five dysfunctions of a team um when when those five dysfunction if there if there's a dysfunction anywhere within a, a, an actual team and they've read that book, it's glaring. Like, oh yeah, you're you're the guy. Like you, you, you struggle with being honest with your teammates because it's a hard conversation to actually tell them that what they're doing is not okay. Um, you know, when there's a trust issue, it's it's super obvious to these guys. But every year there's at least one guy that comes back to me after he graduates, is like, Yeah, we just uh funny thing, you know, professional development day, we're going over the five dysfunctions of a team and you know, whatever business firm they're working in. So um it's it's pretty cool to see that. And if you know, if any of your listeners haven't read that book, uh as a coach or a business person, they they need to do it. It's fantastic. So yeah. five dysfunction of a team. Who wrote who wrote it? Who wrote it? Who's the author? Patrick Lencioni. Yeah, and all his books are like yeah, L E N C I N C I O N I. Okay. So he's uh, he writes fables, all business fables, and most of them are leadership oriented. So the leadership book nerd that I am, I I read him a couple of years ago. I actually picked him up. We were having some issues with our staff, and my wife saw the cover of the book. She's like, "You can't read that with your coaching staff the way things are going." I said, "We need to read this book as a coaching staff." <laughs> the way things are going so so how do you handle those things man like how 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 that thing you got you got into this game you know at a pretty young age being a head coach at what 25 25 yeah so i was the worst staff manager in the country and it's it's still weakness it's hard i mean it's, it's really hard to manage a staff um usually in leadership there's egos and and uh guys that are trying to move up and guys that think they should be the head coach and guys that don't want any part of being a head coach. Um, but I, but I think if you keep the service part of it in the forefront, uh, you're, you're more likely to, you know, to, to help those guys along rather than, rather than just be their boss. Um, again, just, just like the players, if, if the staff is a resource to you as a head coach, you're, you're going to, you're going to struggle to manage those people and, and get everybody moving in the right direction. But if they know that you're there to help them out and, and help them move forward in their career, you know, you're going to be more likely to, to have a staff that works well together and, and you're on the same page moving forward with the, with the team and program goals. Mm-hmm. So like when, like with your staff, like do you kind of set the parameters of things or do you just say like, Hey, you're this guy, go ahead and go do what you want within us. Or how do you kind of manage those different aspects? Um, Bake and I have been working together now for, I want to say, 11 years. 
And he came through the program as a player. He tore his labrum, became a student assistant, worked his way into the volunteer position. And now he's pitching coach and recruiting coordinator. So he's kind of had all the hats except head coach. Um, it's He's a right-hand man. I mean, I, I know when Baker calls and says, we got a guy we need to offer, I mean, it's a pretty easy decision to offer that guy. Um, he knows exactly what it looks like. Um, when he goes down to the bullpen with the pitchers, I don't have to worry about things getting done. I mean, it's it's one of those things where he's got uh, full autonomy and, and runs a pitching staff the way he, he seems fit and deems fit. And, um, you know, with new guys, I think it's really important that every year, again, going back just like the players, we, we have to create clarity on what our values are as a coaching staff and, and what's important in our program. What what standards and, and, and uh, values that we are not going to get away from um, with that open-ended, okay, Coach Sassman, you, you're running the outfielders and the base runners. Um, here's what's worked in the past. You don't have to stick with it. Just let me know what you want to change and let's get on the same page. And, and when that office door opens up and we're presenting the information to the players, you know, we, we have to be uh, unified. And, and I think that's the biggest, uh, biggest piece is to allow guys to speak their mind, allow guys to, to uh, make changes that, that work for them and, and things they believe in, but, but stick to those guns from a values and standards aspect. And, and if those, those values and standards are, the same um but we're able to tweak the way we run the bases for the better then then by all means let's do it mm-hmm. so, not a high my way or the highway kind of head coach i think you, you got to give you got to give room to your assistants to work um even the young guys i mean you, you you guide them and direct them but um there's definitely varying levels of delegation but once a guy checks that box and, and he's able, you know, you delegate him a project and he gets it done, you, you, you up that, that level and give him a little bit more. Um, allow him to do that deep dive into, you know, that development piece that, that you know, we haven't quite grasped yet. So, Well, I don't know if we ever will. Knowing you, there's, there, there will never be done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you'll never be done. I don't think, you know, the great ones, they never are. So. I wouldn't put myself on that level yet, Trey. I appreciate you saying that, but I mean, there, there's there's so much out there to learn right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's overwhelming. It really is. It definitely can be, and it's and also there's always the fear of missing out too. Like I remember, like the quarantine first hit, and you getting all of these Zoom calls, like right. you're going to do this, and like I'm like, man, I got to get that. Like, you know, like you just feel like you're missing out, and you want to <laughs> learn. You know, like we're all continuous learners, and that's I think it's a trait that we just commonly see. But at the same time, it's like I still got to say, nope, I'm not going to do that right. Right. You know, I like guess it just – that's, that's something that I struggle with, trying to do it all and, and this and that. And There's definitely an overload point, right? I mean, you can't can't get to the point where you're – you can't breathe and, and you're throwing so much on your coaching staff and trying to change so much at one time. And it's tweaking. It really is. It's, it's tweaking this and tweaking that. And, again, with the app, it was like, okay – we started off with quality plate appearances. We started off assessing guys after games. We, you know, we moved into the decision making on paper and pencil and saw a problem and tried to try to fill it that way, and it didn't work. And then we tweak it again, and we've got an Android app that um, worked pretty well. Um, and it just keeps evolving, and and you keep trying to find ways to get a little bit better. And you start off with uh, bat sensors, and then all of a sudden you got Rapsodo, and you know you go from Rapsodo, and now you're trying to figure out how to get K best and and how to piece all those things together and then make it functional for the kids so that they can actually improve upon it. And, and 
I think it's like a two or three year thing where you have that technology, but uh, do you really know how to use it and, and improve, you know, a player's movements or, you know, get real function out of it on the field and win a ball games. Um, it just takes time. Mm-hmm. And even just the feedback too, because I, and I know you like, you're you're still you gotta you're like a mixture of thing you're like a hybrid like well i'm gonna take some i'm gonna take some like you said I, i'm gonna take this technology but we're also gonna hit and run we're still gonna bunt right. so you know like trying to how do you do that like how are you able to keep kind of stay true to like let's say oh like there's proven methods um you know a lot of it's theory like there's some things in baseball at our level that you just don't have data for like um playing in the Northeast, playing on bad fields. Um, Division two is so weird. I mean, you can see a guy throwing 96 on Friday and then, uh, you know, Tuesday afternoon, you're seeing a guy that might not make your high school team. Just, it depends so much upon the variables and and I don't think there's data to prove everything. So, um, you know, the run and hit, for example, is something that um, I don't have data of how much it actually works at the division two level in college. I mean, we just don't, we don't have that information, but I know there's going to be days where the wind's going to be blowing in 40 miles an hour. We're, we're facing a guy from Lemoyne this year that I think was a fifth rounder or something like that. And we have to find a way to produce a run um, on a really, really tough day to score and a really tough ballpark to score against a really good arm. And, and the more dynamic we are offensively, uh, the better off, you know, chance we have of, of putting a couple runs on the board and finding a way to win that day. So um, I always get that question like, Oh, do you recruit power hitters? Well, yeah. Ooh. Do you recruit guys that can run? Well, yeah. Do you recruit guys that that uh, hit line drives and have you know um, bat to ball skills? Absolutely. But um, I think if you get stuck with one or the other, I mean, you could find yourself in a situation where if you don't hit a bomb that day and the guys you know got a really good sinker, um, it's kind of hit hard to you know put the ball in the air. Then we have to find a way to win. Augie Garrido said. Uh, you're going to a knife fight with a world-class knife fighter, you better be able to pull a gun out and shoot him, right? I mean, <laughs> find a way to win, right? Right. <laughs> well, like I said, like my offensive philosophy, like my offense is like, we're going to do what the game tells us to do. Right. You know, you do what the game calls for. And if it calls yeah. for a hit, it might call for a hit and run. You know, it might call for a bunt. It might call for just, we're going to sit down here and just smash all day. And that's what, that's what it's going to call for, right. you know, because that's what we can do. But, you know, like, if, if it, it's going to call for us to put it, put that a bun or it's going to call for us to run and hit, then we need to do that. And, and, and Lord knows you, you, you know, we had a 2016, we had a team that was unbelievably fast, but there are still days where, you know, we ran six, literally six, three, six, four, six, five, top three hitters in our lineup. They could fly, mm-hmm. but, and I don't know that we'll ever see that kind of speed ever again. But at the end of the day, there's still days where we couldn't run. There's still days where where uh, they did, a, you know, the opposition did a great job holding runners, and uh, the catcher had a, a cannon, and we still had to figure out ways to, you know, to get in a scoring position. Um, it's just one of those things that it was nice to have that weapon, you know, on days where you could steal, which was most of the days with those guys. But at the same time, there's just going to be other times where you have to find a way where Dan Stoltz was in that middle of that lineup for us, which was our – heavy hitting first baseman, um, he needed to go hit a three-run jack, you know. So it's just figure out what your team does well and and figure out what the individual does well and, and build an offense that's as, much, you know, as dynamic as possible. Mm-hmm. That's been so, our goal. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I think in, 
during those those times, I guess during the, the spring, I guess when you're trying to think about like, well, how am I going to teach all those different things? You know, that could be a question that could come up, you know, um, how do you, how do you try to teach whatever the game might call for? Sure. Um, we try to have some type of scrimmage, even if it's an inning, two innings, three innings, four innings every day, whether it be pitch machine or coach pitch, uh, put those guys into game-like situations. Um, it might take 20 minutes some days and it might take, you know, it might take an hour some days, but, but trying to put them into some type of game situations, huge when it comes to, um, running different plays on offense, running different plays on defense and, and having pitchers hold runners and having guys get live reads on the bases, live reads on batted balls. Um, so that's a big piece of the development. Um, coach Mac at UVA went down there years ago and, and we just, the, the uh, game-like reps are so big, whether that be in batting practice, making it as game-like as possible, or, uh, or like I said, defensively, getting live reads off the bat. That's a big Tim Corbin thing that, that um, I think I just saw Monty Lee talk about it this morning on Twitter. Just, Me too. I saw that too. Yep. Yeah, I mean, get, get as many live reads as you can off the bat, um, whether it be BP. You know, too many teams just go out and shag and, and – and you hear it over and over and over, um, but that's something that's been a staple for us defensively. And we play up the first round of BP every time. You know, why why would you want, you know, to to have a game on the line and and, and play infield in, but it's the first time in a month you guys have been infield in, you mm-hmm. know, other than that first round of fungos you take an I.O., which mm-hmm. is unrealistic anyway. It's all backspin fungos and, you know, you're usually getting smashes, short hops, slow rollers, tough angles. I mean, those are the type of things that you're getting <laughs> torn when the infield's in. You're hardly ever getting a ground ball hit right to, hit right back to you. Right. So, um, so true. It's a great it's a great question though, and we talked about a little bit with building your batting practice groups on um, what may happen from a situational hitting aspect. Right. Yeah. Based off of certain guys' skills. Right. Right. So uh, it drove our, our power guys nuts when, you know, I was asking them to slash and BP, um, you know, first and third, if you're, if you're, you know, now we are, our three hole hitters are hitting in a two hole with the, with the new data that's come out and, you know, it's putting, you know, your best hitter in a two hole, but rarely am I going to have our two or three or four guy safety squeeze, you know, first and third, but the eight hole hitter, there's a pretty good chance in a one run game that we're going to, we're going to safety squeeze to push a run and, you know, based on score and, and, and uh, where we're at in a ball game. So um, not that our four five and six guys don't know how to bunt, but we're probably going to have them work on that far less than the guy who's going to see it three, four or five times in a season. Right. Yeah. That's like, like I said, like, you know, at any level, if those middle guys, top three, they were, were if they're butting a lot, we're in trouble. Right. We're in trouble. No doubt. For sure. So I, mean, I like that. I like how you say you put that in there. Skill-based groups. So good. Mm-hmm. So good, man. That's awesome. So, like, looking at, like, uh, I, I was just, as I was thinking and different things that come up, and you talked about how something that stuck with me about um, over the years, guys read the books. They start to, um, you know, pick out your dysfunctions of a team. 
you know, I, I'm sure like, you know, when you have these guys that you've had for, for a while, you know, then they do know to slash or they, I'm, I'm sure there's just a progression there. Um, has there, I'm just, I'm just thinking of like the commonality of like, you know, you've had a bunch, you've had a handful of guys that would be successful in the pros, like you said. So has there been a common, a common trait between all those guys? Like, do you, are, is it common for them? So you see like, oh, you've now made the progression and see like you've not here because you can recognize these dysfunctions. Um, maybe not from a team aspect, definitely from a leadership aspect. I mean, our better leaders have lived out those ideal team player uh, traits and then the, the five dysfunctions of the team. But our best teams have certainly been the teams that um, that are able to keep each other accountable, that are able to focus on winning a national championship before getting drafted, which is funny because the best teams are always the ones that typically have the most type, you know, pro guys on it at the end of the year. Um, one thing, you know, two traits I would say, and these are more um, baseball oriented um, and offensive, to be honest. The the one thing that, that Coach Bake and I have talked about quite a bit when we're out looking at players and now coach Sassman and, and we just added a new guy to our staff, Eli Napoles just got released from the Brewers, but um, base running. Um, we, we went back and started looking at draft picks, all Americans, guys that have had great careers, potential hall of famers. You know, when you look back at it and say, okay, who are the top 10 position players we've had? And the one trait that we pulled out from a baseball aspect with all of those guys was they were, they were all really good base runners. Mm. And when you start thinking about it, it's like, okay, I mean, they understand the game. Yes. I mean, they, they really do understand the game. Um, and they weren't guys that could fly and steal bases, but they were the ones who, who, who got really good reads off the bat, who, you know, you see a guy with the two hold, you know, at first base, they're, they're jumping holds and stealing a bag. And um, that was something that was, that was, that, that stuck out. And the other part is, you know, we're going through these batting practice routines. We're going through game like function um, during practice. And they were the ones, the better players are the guys that um, can compute the situation and come up with a, a really simplified plan that's typically external and what I mean by external is they're they're focused on more on 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 the end goal than they are what their body has to do you know internally to 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 produce a movement or to hit a fastball or hit a breaking ball or um you know I remember David Summerfield he the guy could flat out hit a ball bat the ball guy uh didn't have a ton of power um didn't have a ton of speed but it was just like line drives everywhere and when you listen to him and we make our guys verbalize all their planning at the plate during batting practice, he would have the most simple plans. And he was always the guy that could come up with that plan super quick, super quick. And, you know, we will throw a situation at a guy, Hey, first and third, one out, uh, one, two count. Um, and he would be able to spit his, his two strike plan out in relation to, to how he was going to execute and score that run from third base extremely quick. Um, whereas some guys just, it takes forever. They start talking through it and they start thinking way too much. And then it becomes about not pulling off and staying on balls and getting the front foot down at this point. And, um, and they get themselves into trouble. So, um, that's the other part, super simplified planning guys can compute that really, really, really quick. And, and, um, 
it usually leads to more success, especially if they're able to ex- keep it external and not internalize it on game day. A simple external plan. Yes. Yeah, usually has to do with, you know, from an offensive side of things, seeing the ball. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to attack the inner half or I'm going to hit the bottom half with the man on third and the infield in or, um, you know, oh, this guy's throwing a, you know, this guy's got one of those riding fastballs and I have trouble getting on top of it. Well, they know that and they're, they're the guys that, that think less and just get on top of the ball and see the top half of the ball. Um, rather than don't uppercut or don't do this or don't do that or, or change your swing. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a much easier way to – your body slows down, right? The more you think about your mechanics, it slows down. So those guys were able to stay at game speed and make adjustments with, to their body without having to think about the actual movement. That's so – I've never heard of that. I've never put it, heard it that way. But, yeah, to be able to compute – Based on the situation, a simple external plan. That's, that's really cool. So think about yeah. all your players. All your players were able to do that and kind of just keep it simple, keep it external. The better ones. The yeah, better. for sure. Um, Chaz McCormick, who's on the 60-man the roster with the Astros right now, he might have been the best at it. I mean, mm. um, I'll never forget his dad was videoing his – his uh, at bats, we, we we play double headers in the PSAC all the time, and the first game he struggled, and it's rare. I mean, this kid broke the all-time PSAC record for hits, and just a pure hitter could really hit. But I, a lot of his ability to hit came down to the simplification again. Um, so his dad's videoing his at bats, and he's showing the video. And uh, Chaz's a funny kid. He calls his mom and dad Bob and Nance. He doesn't call him mom and dad. So he looks at him. And he goes, Bob. I'm, his dad's like, look, you're swinging, your, your front foot's getting down late, and this is changing with your swing. And he goes, Bob, I'll just swing earlier. And it was like the, there was some real genius in how simple that adjustment was for him. And he went out and got, you know, three hits the next game, and all he did was swing a little earlier. You know, but, <laughs> you know it, wasn't, it wasn't this big mechanical thing that he had to get, you know, Aren't they always ones that make the big difference, you know? Like oh, yeah. They're uh, – Dad, leave me alone. I got this, you know? Yeah, I know. So. Gosh. But. Dude, this was, this is – again, I knew this was going to be like this, man. This is going to be awesome. I love talking about this stuff. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I, I was just thinking, like, so one thing that came to mind, because, like, I know the way that you guys talk, and I know you've talked about, like, is how your alumni come back and how much prize they're, like, and I'm sure you probably don't do this a lot because that's how that's the level you guys are at. But like, are you teaching guys like from the get go, like how to think, how to talk? Yeah, again, those first meetings, I think I love hearing from transfers when you know that first week of school when we're doing that deep dive into our values because I, you can see the light bulb go off. Like, yeah, well, if we actually do this here and it's not just all talk but we actually live this way um i'm gonna have a good experience here and you kind of see like all right like i can we could we can i trust what's going on here um and and for a lot of those guys they're leaving that other institution because they're having a bad experience or they felt like you know there was dishonesty it's not always playing time um most of these guys are not leaving the other institutions because of playing time so um i'll start with that um 
you know, the, the alumni come back because they had a good experience because they have a great relationship with, with guys around them and, and hopefully with the coaching staff. Um, but that I think the pride, obviously, if you don't win, you don't have pride. I mean, let's be honest. Like it, yeah. it, It's really hard to get guys to come back. Um, they win. Right. So I think the success right away, um, like the 98 World Series team, I wasn't a part of that team. I, you know, but we've gotten to know those guys and those guys have a brotherhood. Um, and it's like what came first, the chicken, chicken or the egg, the great team, you know, the great camaraderie made them a great team, which makes them, a, you know, have that that bond 30 years later. Um, or did they have that bond, which made them a great team, which made them win? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know which one comes first. I think that, I think it, for them, it was, it was pretty organic. Um, but you know, the, the pride part of it is, it's just that long-term um, development. And, and I think they, every guy that comes through, that's been part of that value, at least since I've been here, we've had those two values and we've created clarity around them. I think they can share that whether you're a 2011 grad or a 2019 grad, um, you know, that you're a selfless dude and you're a relentless dude. And, and again, those type of people, they get along, you know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really easy for those guys to get along. So for sure. So, um, to thinking about your, you know, when you look at how long have you had the selfless and relentless, or is that something that you think you're just always going to have? Will you ever revisit that? Do you, do your senior, do you get a chance to talk to them? Like, how does that, yeah. how's, how was that? I think a lot of coaches, I think it's a mistake for them to, to change their, um, you know, you got the words on the back of the t-shirt, right? You're always seeing like this team's going to be, you know, have a target on their back and we need to change the word this year because it's going to be a little bit different. Um, we do have a six month objective every year we're trying to, to, to accomplish. And it, it usually has to do with, it's kind of problem solving. Like, what do we struggle with the most? What do you think our weaknesses as a team? What do we need to improve on the next six months here um, as we go through the in season process? But, um, you know, the, I, th- I don't see us getting away from selfish and relentless. I could see us adding another value. Um, and we have that conversation every year. Is there a value that we're missing? Is there something that, um, that we, we need to have in order for us to be successful. Is there an area that that's a weakness that, that we need to work on, um, you know, kind of a potential value that we need to, to, to improve upon as a program in order to, to get to that next, um, mountaintop. And, and to this point, no, we haven't had to change those values. I I think the standards change a little bit. In other words, how do you, how do you create a selfless classroom, uh, environment when, when you're, when you're in an online class, it's a great, it's a totally different point that we, we've got to tackle. And I think there's lots of those different things that have changed through the years where, um, you know, types of majors, if you're just looking at academics, I mean, it's just, it's just different. Um, we had bat sensors. Well, it could be selfish to, to not turn your bat sensor on and not, not utilize that technology that, that, that everybody's using. So it changes based on the group. And I think those bullet points that we were talking about earlier change. Um, but really the values haven't, you know, we, we had a conversation five or six years ago. We need to add fun. Somebody brought this up. We need to have fun as a value. And uh, McCormick was the guy that said, it's not fun. Like, let's be honest, going away at six o'clock in the morning. That ain't fun every day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but is there enjoyment in the success as it, as it relates to going 100%. to the way you're in success? Absolutely. But joy and fun are two different things. Um, so fun got knocked off pretty quick. <laughs> you, you definitely need to allow for guys to put their two cents in in order to create ownership of those values, though. So you will have that com- – was that just like a returner? Is that a returner, just a returner conversation you have at the end of the year, or is that something you do prior to bringing all the freshmen in? Um, it's a full-team conversation. Okay. Um, okay. It's a full-team conversation. It's usually during training camp in January, so guys have been through the, the ringer a little bit in the fall and know what the expectations are, and, um, and we'll bring it up every year. And sometimes there's, there's, there's no conversation. I mean, you just, hey, do, do we have any values that we want to bring forth and – you know, I'd say every other year somebody brings something up and we go around and around and around and have, have some conversation on it and, and uh, guys pro- provide their two cents and then we make a decision as a group. So, but it's been uh, maybe like 2010 since we've had self and Relentless, my third year, and it's been the same since. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, just, I mean, to just have that yearly conversation, if things need to change, they need to change, and if not, they don't. Right. Yeah. Those, uh, those uh, alumni though, I mean, like they just, if you ask them what our values are, um, they'll be able to tell you 10 years later. I mean, it, that's what it's about right there. Clarity, 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 clarity. That's it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, this has been awesome. I want, I, even with all of our technological difficulties, it's about two hours now. <laughs> yeah. So, but I appreciate all your time, man. I want to get you rolling. You it. Like, uh, if there anybody want to reach out to you at any time, what's the best way to contact you, man? If you want to, email's probably best. Um, my email's been a little bit blown up with with recruiting, just because there's so many guys trying to. That's the best way to get in touch with a coach right now with COVID and and not being able to go out uh, and see guys playing a game other than camp situations for the D two guys, but. Um, you know, but but email's definitely good. You could uh, follow me on Twitter, and I'll follow you back and DM me. That works as well. So, um, what's your Twitter handle? What is your Twitter handle? Uh, at Coach Sheehan. And your email isn't your email J Sheehan? Yep, J Sheehan at Millersville.edu. Yeah, man, this is an of course. I knew it was gonna be great. You're a rock star. Thanks, Jerry. You were too. Guy. I really appreciate it. Wow, some great information and a conversation that we could have just kept on going and going. We had to stop. I'm sure maybe we'll even possibly do one later in the future. But a ton of information, especially a lot of revolved around the offense, revolved around hitting, revolved around culture. Because those are the things that really stand out in this program. Um, but the culture itself at Millsville is something that continues to make him successful and keep him consistent. And you have a coach Sheehan that he's about him doing it first, a true leader who doesn't expect anybody that do anything that he would not do. And I think those things come across very clear through his message and through what he talks about. And um, I love how... You hear the highest level of coaching. You hear kids taking ownership. You hear him facilitating conversations. You hear him facilitating the coaching and letting kids 
take ownership of what they're doing, of their careers, of their team. You hear him talk about specific things about making game-like reps and how he's individualizing and trying to tailor what each kid needs and how he's able to also take the new stuff and developing, making it better at the same time, keeping those truths, keeping those things that he knows to be valuable in the game alive. And um, so... I just, you know, again, if you did not get his email, if you did not get his Twitter handle, at Coach Sheehan, S-H-E-H-A-N. Email jsheehan at millersville.edu. And if you'd like to reach me, contact me, anything about the podcast, or if you feel like you could have anyone that might be beneficial for the podcast or something that might help it make it better, please reach out to me at treytcobb at gmail.com. Share this episode with anybody who feel it might enjoy it, to hear things about his app, to hear things about how what he feels the best players have, the same kind of traits, how he's building his culture, things that's anything that's going to help with players to not only become better baseball players, but become better men, because that's what we're here for. So let's continue to grow the games. And thank you for, again, joining us this, this week. And see you next week and keep getting better. <laughs>